Legally Blonde, Suits, My Cousin Vinny. All badass lawyers, all different. Which begs the question, what type of lawyer do you want to be? Don't waste another second thinking, ugh, I don't even know what types of lawyers there are. Trust us, we've been there. Let's put a stop to that once and for all. Go take the 90-second quiz from new lawyer now what coach Angela Vorpal to give yourself a clear picture of the best fit type law for you. Go to www.whattypeoflawyerquiz.com and take the quiz today. Once you've taken the quiz, send us a DM on Instagram to let us know what type of lawyer you got. We can't wait to hear. For most of us, when we decide that we're going to law school, we have zero idea what type of lawyer we want to be. I know that that was the case when I started. Usually what most of us know about being a lawyer basically comes from Law & Order or Legally Blonde. Shout out to our girl, Elle Woods. So if you're thinking about going to law school or already in law school and want to get some clarity about what types of law actually exist out there and what type of law might be a good fit for you, then we have just the thing for you. A longtime friend of our podcast and law school extraordinaire, Angela Vorpal, has put together a free What Type of Lawyer Should I Be quiz. And I can't tell you guys how many times when I was in like not only law school, but before law school, looking up like what kind of lawyer should I be? And I wish that there was like a quiz out there. So here it is. And we'll have all the links for you. It's a 90 second quiz designed to give you a window into what your best fit type of law would be. Awesome, right? So you can take the quiz at whattypeoflawyerquiz.com. Hi guys, and welcome back to another Ladies Who Law School podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Haley. And this week we have Ashley Carlisle from Hyperdraft AI, which is something that I had never even heard of, and I feel like I'm pretty tech savvy. So I just want you guys to tune in, listen to this, and realize that we are in the Stone Ages and that law firms have to catch up. Let's dive in. All right, guys, please help me welcome our guest, Ms. Ashley Carlisle from Hyperdraft. Hi, Ashley. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. We are so happy to have you. So Ashley, tell us and the listeners a little bit about yourself. Sure. I am the head of marketing at Hyperdraft. We're a legal automation platform for law firms and legal departments. I'm originally from Austin, Texas. I hope you don't hold it against me. And I went to the University of Texas for both undergrad and for law school. I now live in LA, so I miss queso and barbecue and all of that back home. Um, But luckily, I get to go back quite a bit, which is nice. So why don't we go back to when you first started thinking about law school? Like, was that in high school, college? You know, when were you like, hmm, I want to go to law school? So I'm going to sound like a crazy person with the story, but I even called my sister to confirm some of these facts. I was just a very intense and nerdy child. 
So I decided that I wanted to be a, at the time I called it lawyer slash politician. I thought it was like all one title when in fifth grade. So I think I was like 11 years old. Oh my gosh. I love that. And before that, I think it was somewhere like rolling around in my brain because there's these very like just kind of sad childhood stories about me that my family tosses around. Like, for example, um, my dad watched Xena Warrior Princess and I used to call it Xena the Lawyer Princess and carry around with like a briefcase. I don't even know like where I got that. But like that was like that's a story that lives on in my family. And then also um, I have had an obsession with Sandra Day O'Connor. Less so once I went to law school and kind of learned more. But in elementary school. So I tried to dress up like her for Halloween on multiple occasions, which my parents luckily talked me out of. So I wouldn't get, you know, bullied. Um, and then my grandmother, I, she would go with me to like the cowgirl museum every year to see like the Sandra Day O'Connor exhibit. So I think somehow it was always just in my brain that this is what I was going to do. And literally since I was like 11, I was laser focused on going to law school. I didn't think about anything else. I worked towards it since then. So all of middle school, all of high school, all of college, it was just like, I got to get into law school. I look back and that's kind of bizarre, but I also think it was just what I was supposed to do because I can't think of anything else that like I would have been interested in. I don't think I missed out on anything. If anything, it's probably the universe being like, you are an overachiever with no talent. Like this is the (laughs) path for you. (laughs) Like this is, this is your lane in life. Um, So once I got to undergrad, the whole game for me was how do I get a 4.0 to go to law school? So I majored in political science because, you know, I wanted to check out if I would be interested in politics through many internships in DC and Austin. I kind of realized that wasn't what I wanted to do, but I really enjoyed the political science department at UT. So I graduated with um, a degree in that. And then, yeah, just had my eyes set on law school, like a crazy person from a young age. Um, really stressed myself out in the process, but I guess it worked out. So we're here. So when you were an undergrad, did you want to stay at UT for law school or did you want to venture out at all? So I applied a ton of places. Um, I think visiting the law schools and talking to more attorneys kind of changed my process halfway through. So I applied to the regional schools in Texas, because I'm from Texas. And then I applied to the entirety of like one through 20 in the rankings just to see the best school I could get into, which I think a lot of people do. Then I would visit the law schools. And I didn't really think when I was younger to look up the cost of everything. So in the end, I kind of realized like, oh, this is really expensive. And also at the time, to be honest, like I didn't even know what my big law salary was until like I got the offer letter. So I have the number part of it has never been like of interest to me. I probably should have, I would tell people to research that more going into it, but I did realize in like doing these visits, like this is going to cost so much money. And so my decision was basically a mix of a good value school that was like well-ranked and luckily the university of Texas is that, um, I, I don't know. I think it is the cheapest of like the tier one schools to go to and they have a very good scholarship program. So I think in actuality, like most people that go get some sort of subsidy. And so also I had dreamed of going there. Like I will always remember the moment that I got that acceptance because I had dreamed of going there since I was really little. Like I used to make my dad uh, walk me around the law school. I don't know why. So he knew where it was. I knew where, like I knew everything about it. Oh, that's so cute. Honestly, I really love that story. It's adorable. Honestly, I can just see like a tiny little you walking around in, at UT campus and just being like, I'm going to grow up and be here one day. So that's adorable. So let's talk about law school at UT. 
how was it? What were some of your accomplishments? What were some of your struggles? Give us some insight. So I gave this background with like how I was so excited and so obsessed. I was so excited that like, and I do not give this advice to people. I didn't really like research what law school was going to be like. I just decided based off of like dreaming about it. I don't even know with what sources my whole life that like I was going to go to my first day of law school. I was going to make best friends. I was going to come home and watch Legally Blonde and it was going to be like the best day ever. Like it was going to be the start of my life. And I realized about an hour into the first day at UT that like this was going to be a lot different than I thought. Um, I have no attorneys in my family. So I recommend to anyone who is like a first generation attorney to definitely It's hard to like feel comfortable at that age to kind of go up to people in your community that are in the law and be like, hey, how does this work? And I will say sometimes people are open and sometimes people are not. But I think what's great about this podcast and some other things that have popped up on the internet is like, especially on YouTube, I'm seeing more and more like, I think there's an influencer called CCZ and some others that are giving like very honest takes about like law school applications and big law, which is wonderful. Really like exposing yourself to that because it was a rude awakening for me. It was pretty awful. I really didn't know what to expect. And for the first time, and I think you guys have touched on this on your podcast, I felt like the dumbest person, like I shouldn't be there. And UT is one of those schools, at least for my year, where most people had had some type of life experience before coming into UT law and coming straight from undergrad. I felt super immature, which I was, and I didn't have any life experience. And I just felt like it was all so crazy. So, and I had like a lot of personal issues with my family and health and a lot of things during that time. So it was pretty awful, but I think that's kind of the case for most people. Like, Mm -hmm. um, I still keep in contact with some of my former professors and like some of the staff at UT law. And I was talking to one of them, I'm going back in October and they were like, this will be nice because it'll be like the time you get to go back. And like, it'll be the first time without like a lot of like trauma or stress. And I sat there and I was like, wait, like you teach here and you had that moment too. Like we all had that moment. We're like, we're all like stress. That's a good way to put it. (laughs) Isn't that wild though? Like to think about like this person would accept this job and like work so hard for this job, but still even they have to like walk through the doors and have like the flashbacks of like all that existential dread and angst that like all of us have during those three years. I just didn't realize that was so universal, but I think it is. So I also had that. Um, I think at the time I thought I was failing. I did fine in law school, but I think all of us are so hard on ourselves. And that's something I always remind people when people come and ask me for advice is like, we're all so hard on ourselves in this profession. Everyone's very neurotic. And unfortunately that doesn't get better. It kind of gets worse the more senior you get. Um, So I did fine. And I think while I was there... (laughs) My successes, I'm just a weird person, I guess, but uh, me and my friend from law school helped found a transactional moot court. It's not really a competition. It's more of like a practicum, like a practice round for people to see what it would be like to negotiate a deal and um, kind of have a look behind the curtain of what a deal process is. And I know I virtually like judged it or something two years ago, so I think it's still around. Um, But that was basically, we both wanted more exposure to what corporate attorneys actually do because no one knows until you're in it. Like people will act like they know, but like the internet doesn't even explain it well. So I founded that there. Um, And then my only other claim to fame was just having meetings with the Dean to try to advocate for tampon machines in the girls restroom, which the last time I went, I think we won that, but those were a series of very awkward meetings. 
Um, and if you're law, and if anyone's listening and their law school doesn't have tampon machines, I learned that there are many firms that will jump at the opportunity to sponsor that endeavor. So I encourage yeah, everyone I to just go it. and advocate for that. Does our, no. does our law school have? I don't know. I don't think they do. I don't, I'm like picturing the bathrooms and I'm like, I don't. I've never seen yeah. one. So thanks for uh, putting that on our radar. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But let's talk. I mean, I'm really interested to know about being a big law corporate attorney and what that's like, a day in the life. Also, could you just, okay, so we obviously know that you did big law. Yeah. But how did you get, get there? there? You know, was it through OCI? Course, um, was it a summer internship? Was it a summer internship? Did that internship turn into a full-time offer? Like kind of give us yeah. your. And then tell us yeah. about it. Big law, yeah. big law, day in the life. Yeah, I think, and the older I get, the more I realize I'm not unique in this, but people weren't talking about it. I botched OCI, like didn't get big law. Luckily, UT has a very good career services. So I ended up at a wonderful mid-sized firm that I summered at and I loved, but it wasn't just the area of law that I was interested in. Um, but I guess what made me different in my approach to that was I just kept reaching out to big law firms outside of OCI. Um, really consistently and even probably embarrassingly so where like the recruiting people knew who I was and I would show up at events and like eventually they just caved. Yes. I, I, they probably hate I that I give that. that advice, but like K&E especially, like they had just come to Texas. Everyone wanted to work there at UT. I oh, knew yeah, I wasn't the top of the class, but my grades were okay. And so I just kept coming. And I can even just envision the lady's face that was HR at the time. I will not name her name because I bet she's like, yes, this girl did bother me. But I would just show up at like every event and be like, hi, how are you? And just like act like they, like Dory did, like act like they didn't reject me like 5 million times. So I think by the time they accepted me, I'd probably been rejected. I wish I could go through emails probably at least four times. And I just kept going and kept submitting. So that is my advice. And that's something I've kind of realized throughout my career is people in the legal profession are so respectful of the rules, but especially, I don't know, I think especially for women, I don't know if that's a weird generalization, like you have to respect the rules and be nice about it. But like, if that's what you really want, you just keep doing it. Like you have to be respectful. You can't be like, if I came in and I was very like arrogant or like came in with a very aggressive approach, I don't think it would have worked. So you have to be very mindful of that. But there's definitely something about just consistency and pushing forward because eventually sometimes they will cave. So that's how I ended up at K&E, <laughs> whether they wanted me or not. So was that um, before you graduated or was it shortly after you graduated or when did that kind of pan out? I think that was 3L because I had an offer from the other firm and went against my law school's advice and called them, like accepted the offer, then got the offer at K&E a couple months later went against my law school's advice of canceling the first offer because you're not supposed to do that. Um, and even with that person, I was just very thoughtful about how I did it. Like even to this day, I keep in touch with that hiring partner. I think he's had bad experiences with other people. So if you are going to do that, make sure you really do think it out. Um, but yeah, it was 3L. And I think a lot of people would have been scared and I kind of was, but I think it's more common, especially now for the the offers that people actually want to happen later. I think when you're in law school, you want some validation so badly that the offers you get at OCI are pretty bad, but you don't realize it until you're in your second year of practice. And my friends who have liked their jobs the most were the ones like me that ended up getting it later on because they failed at first or 
you know, they really had to think about what they wanted and it just, that resilience ended them up where they were supposed to be, as opposed to just looking for the first validation point. Cause all of us are so tired and insecure in that first year. So. Yeah. Everybody listen to that. <laughs> Rewind, listen to it again. Cause I know I needed to hear that. I, I know so many of us, uh, three L's and, you know, now I guess we're not three L's anymore, but rising three L's. I know I was like, Oh my God, I don't have a job. Oh my God, what am I going to do? Oh my God. You know? And then I think everything worked out. Everything happened. I totally freaking love that you showed up and just kept persevering. Even if they told you no, um, that is the best advice guys. Seriously. Like do not be afraid to do that. Cause that is, 100% amazing technique to do and so ballsy. So I'm so impressed, Ashley. Also, like, like you kind of said, um, your friends that have enjoyed their jobs the most, like the people that we know that have enjoyed their jobs the most are always the people who like, you know, unconventionally maybe got to their job, you know, or they're um, intentional about it. Or they're it. very intentional. Yeah. Yeah. Like so. I went and I wanted to work for them. So I made it happen. Yeah, yeah. Same. Yeah. For sure. The other things I will say, and I only realized this when I was, well, it's a lot easier to say it like in hindsight at the time. I, I don't even know if I would have absorbed it. Most of the people that get those great OCI jobs and come back and like make you feel terrible. I had that in my section. Like they're like, oh, I have this. What are you doing? They're just repeating whatever the law firm told them to say. Like they really don't care. And at the time I thought they cared and they would think less of me. The older I get, the more I realize like no one really cares. Lawyers are just awkward and we have no lives at that stage. So that's just what they're going to talk about. But if you even just walk away from that person's question, they're probably not even going to be offended. And I just thought yeah. I had to reply. And so that's the one thing I also say to people that come and, you know, like they're stressed out during that stage. I'm like, you don't even have to answer. You could just, I don't know, be like, oh, fun fact, like Dr. Pepper was invented in whatever when someone like they don't really care. They're just saying it to fill space. And I think we take it so personally because we're so hard on ourselves. But in retrospect, I like let that eat up so much of my energy at the time thinking I was less than them. And like, it, I wasn't. Also, another thing I will say, which I think some people will take as a negative, I actually think if you just kind of expect it, it's fine. I've been talking, we recruit at some law schools across the country. I've been talking to some of the career services. Some firms are already after 1L, like, OCI, you know, like the people do the 1L early summer, they're not extending offers to those people because they don't know what the future is going to look like already, like in the last couple months. And I expect that's going to continue. So I think it's just going to be more uncertain, which in a way probably will lead it to be not more of a level playing field, but more how it should be. Because right now these big firms just kind of have this market, which kind of like manipulates the whole thing and makes it weird for everyone. And it's not necessarily advantageous for everyone. It's just how it's been set up. Yeah, we both didn't participate in OCI, so. And we're not going into big law, so we can't. So we really appreciate you being able to speak on that. Speaking of that, tell us what it is like a day in the life of a corporate lawyer, a business lawyer, someone who's on these big transactions, I'm, I'm guessing. So tell us what you did. So I was a debt finance associate, which is just very fancy speak for helping paper large loans. So whether that just be like a loan independently or like a line of credit for a business to operate a loan in connection with like a acquisition or a loan to help someone avoid or get through bankruptcy. That typically is what a debt finance associate is doing at one of these large law firms. So a day in the life of a first year is not that glamorous. I would say it 
is going to be different every day because you're just at the whim of who your clients are, which basically is the senior associate, the partner, and your actual client, um, especially at places like K&E. Um, the one thing I will say is, and you know, the meme lords make great content out of it, but like, um, I don't think these places are as bad as everyone says. I think it's more so we're all so anxious that like it, we let it get into our head because I, at the time, thought I was like so stressed out and so busy. But when I look back at the people I still talk to and are still my good friends, like most of those people came from K&E. So it can't be that bad. Like I still, I haven't been there in years now and I still like talk to them all the time. So I think it just seems so fast when you're a first year. So that's one thing I will say and something people told me, which is true. By the time you're a third or fourth year, stuff starts slowing down. And so really just kind of like preparing yourself for the ride of knowing that things are going to move fast. You're not really going to know what people are talking about and just kind of faking your way through it and then writing down notes and researching later. The things, because by the time I was leaving, I was managing juniors and the things that I would tell people that I think people miss is like, when you are a junior in a big law firm, the main things you can contribute are resourcefulness, response, responsiveness, and just like organization. Have you been looking for podcast-like audio lessons to learn about law school? I know when we were in law school, we were begging for something like this. Well, we found just the resource for you and they are amazing, guys. We've been working with Barcast Audio for over three years now. So basically since we were 1Ls. Now that we are baby little soon-to-be lawyers, we can definitely say that it was worth our time to get Barcast Audio. So if you want to check it out and learn about all the core subjects and the MBE subjects, definitely go to BarcastAudio.com. And Haley, will you tell our listeners their special code? Yes. Use code LADIES, that's L-A-D-I-E-S, at BarcastAudio.com to get 10% off your next purchase. So if those are things that you don't necessarily love, you can be a great attorney at like a smaller law firm. But like, unfortunately, when you're in a, a, a little wheel and like a big machine like that, at that foundational level, like really you're probably OCD color coding friends going to be like the person that's like the star associate for like the first couple years, because the partner is going to call and be like, where are these 472 parts of this deal? Because I'm on like these 12 other deals negotiating, like give me the rundown in 20 minutes. And that's like a big part of your job. That's very interesting. I think that that's very good to know. I kind of feel like resourcefulness and what was your other one? Resourcefulness, organization, responsiveness, responsiveness, responsiveness which is I- a, <laughs> that's good and bad. I mean, at k and I think there some partners want you to respond like literally right away. And then others, you're allowed um, some leeway. But like some firms in New York, I know that I haven't worked out, but I've heard um, rumors of like, you have to respond within like 20 minutes or else like people are calling you, yelling at you. So I'm glad I was never in that environment, but that is sometimes kind of like a big law thing. Potential. Be yeah. very responsive. Yeah. It's just interesting to think about those characteristics. And also, like you said, if you're not so organized or you're not so resourceful, you're thinking, oh, crap, am I going to fail at this job? And it's like, no, there's still opportunity out there for you. But I like how you said it's like the bigger wheel or, you know, the bigger wheel that you're working towards in a big law firm. Yeah. And the day in the life I didn't really answer, but it's a lot of calls, a lot of calendar invites being sent, a lot of email and a lot of scrubbing documents, which basically just means uh, like typo check, 
adjusting format, like stuff like that. It's not glamorous your first year. And then diligence and yeah. M&A. We'll be right back. Hey guys, we want to take a moment to talk about something that has been a game changer for us busy lawyers, Audible. Yes, Audible has been our go-to platform for incredible audiobooks, offering an extensive library of thrillers, nonfiction, autobiographies, and mysteries. And guess what? We've got a special treat for you. Audible is offering a free trial to our listeners, and all you need to do is check the link in the show notes. It's the perfect opportunity to experience the magic of audiobooks without spending a dime. Speaking of thrillers, I know you are currently hooked on Never Lie by Frida McFadden. Samantha, can you tell us a little bit about it? Absolutely. The twists and turns in Never Lie have kept me on the edge of my seat during the workday and even when I'm on my daily walks. It's like having a suspenseful companion wherever I go. And for those looking for some financial wisdom, I have been engrossed in My Money, My Way by Kamuku Love. It's packed with practical advice on managing finances, perfect for anyone trying to navigate the complexities of money management. What we love most is the flexibility Audible offers. As lawyers, our schedules can be unpredictable, but with Audible, we can enjoy our favorite books on the go, whether we're stuck in traffic, hitting the gym, or waiting for a court hearing. So if you're ready to embark on a literary journey and discover the joys of audiobooks, click the link in the show notes to start your free trial with Audible. Trust us, you won't want to miss out on this fantastic offer. So would you say that your role was more transactional um, law? Yeah. So debt finance typically is like right in the mix of transactional. So at Kirkland, they actually have a rotational program. So like your first, I think it's two or three years, they encourage you to work in all the areas. So all the transactional areas they offer, for example, was like mergers and acquisitions, debt finance, capital markets. And I guess, I don't know if investment funds counts. I might have missed one, but I think that's it. So typically those three, capital markets, M&A, and debt finance are like what big law considers like the pocket of transactional work. And then M&A is like a lot of diligence as a junior, but that typically has the best exit options, which is something I didn't research, which I encourage people to. I didn't know anyone in big law really. So I didn't really know what the exit options were. I just kind of gravitated towards the people I liked, which worked out for me. But I do have colleagues who ended up being like senior associates in debt finance who didn't realize that their only exit options that were easy were like working at a bank or working at another financial institution. And that wasn't something they wanted to do. Similarly, litigation associates, it's harder for them to go in-house sometimes. It's stuff that It's hard because you're in law school and you're so busy, but really kind of being mindful of where the exit options are is a good way to spend your time in the first couple years you're practicing. Exit options. Can you expand more on what you mean by that? I mean, just based on what you said, like forward thinking for your career, like what am I going to do next? But, you know, like you said, how you're so busy, it's so crazy. What if I don't even know like what's out there for me? How, How do you suggest doing research on that? So this is a wild concept, but I did have someone in my um, class at Kirkland, which was full of like really smart people who I still to this day, like stalk and I'm like, give me life advice. Uh, We're all friends. He called recruiters in his first year and was like, what is someone that's a fifth year in each of these practice groups? What are they getting paid? And what are you recruit? Like what jobs are you placing them in? 
And that sounds crazy to me because I don't want this person like calling me back. I don't want someone to hear that like I called a recruiter, but I think he did it from the jump because he could explain like, I'm just getting info and no one else is going to tell me this. And this person, if they're smart, will like follow up with me in two years. And so I think he had that mindset. So that's an easy way. It's awkward. I didn't do it. I don't know if I would have had the courage to do it at that point, but um, also just asking senior associates, obviously not your first day, but I feel like... (laughs) After working on three deals with someone, if you're a transactional attorney, if you have a good rapport, I would start asking like mentor type advice from the seniors Mm -hmm. I worked with. And I, by the end, was asking them that stuff of like, what would be the next chapter? You have to be careful because there's politics everywhere, Yeah, but, and you don't want to make it sound like you're wanted to leave like imminently. But I Mm -hmm. think that's something, especially like as a perfectionist, I was so caught up in the details and being perfect every day that I wasn't really advocating for my future self as much as I should have. I luckily ended up in the right place. But if I had gone back, I would have devoted like an hour on Sunday or whatever works for someone to be like, how am I doing? Is this where I want to be going? Yeah. Because unless you're really mindful about making that time, like years will pass. (laughs) Big law is busy. I mean, I I, I feel like I was joking with her earlier. I was like, think about how fast the past three years went. Like we're going to look up and it's going to be another three years. And we're going to be like, wait, what? It's already been three years, five years, so on. So no, I think that's great advice. And uh, what do you think about, you know, just doing a little research online and on LinkedIn, maybe looking at people that left your firm, worked in your, worked in your area, your practice group and seeing where they end up. Do you think that that's a good way to do it too? I think that's definitely a good way. I think the thing that gets confusing with that, um, which just comes with experience, is people don't really know like the different practice areas until you've been practicing for a while. Like even at this point, when I, my litigation friends start talking about something, I like act like I know what they're talking about. I only understand like a couple of the practice areas on that side, right? Same yeah. thing. Litigators think corporate people just sit around all day. I don't even think they know what we do. Like, so <laughs> that's the only thing that I advise about the internet is like you don't have that context. So like sometimes you're going to get a slam dunk and then other times you have to generalize it and not be like, okay, this is my specific use case more. So like this is general stuff that I still need to fill in or like get additional supporting evidence. Understanding. Yeah, no, totally. Good point. Good point. Okay. So let's talk about hyperdraft. I mean, we're all dying to know what exactly it does and yeah. Also, could you just share your story of going from big law to like this tech world, it seems like, Um, you know, it seems like it's kind of different than, you know, what you were doing in big law. Yeah, it's very different. Good point. Yeah. Tell us how you got to hyperdraft. It is totally different. Yes. And I did not really like first or second year, Ashley, I don't know, I guess I'd be like, ah, oh, she's weird. Maybe this would be it, but it wasn't what my original like intent was. It's funny how life works out that way. But, um, I'm like very perfectionist, very people pleaser just innately. And so, and I liked what I was doing. Like, yes, it's a grind. Yes. It wears on you. Sometimes you feel like you're getting near the point of burnt out, especially during the pandemic, because when the economy is not doing well, debt finance and bankruptcy rev up. So like the pandemic was crazy time for me, which is great job security wise, but I was very exhausted. Um, Still even into the pandemic, in my mind, I was like, I'm working towards being a partner. I would love the honor of being a partner. I hope people see that like the work I'm putting in every day is worthy of that. That was my goal in the next few years to try to shoot for that. Then I 
luckily met my colleague who is the founder of Hyperdraft, Tony Tai. So my whole company basically came from Goodwin Proctor, the LA office, which is where I am now in LA. Um, and so I met these people and Tony is a former software engineer who the law is like his second career. And he had built this software for himself and the firm had like approved it. So he like literally had all these computer screens. And one day I go in there for coffee and I see this thing running and I'm like, what is this? And it led to like many conversations about how the law was like 20 years behind on technology, which at the time I didn't even know. And so after months of talking with him, he finally was like, yeah, you're going to like be my head of marketing and like, you know, help me run the company. I'm like, what? Like, I am a lawyer. I wanted to be a lawyer since I was 12. I have no life experience. Like, this is not. So finally, over time, he finally made me realize, like, you know, one of the great things about law school is, and big law and just practicing law in general. I think like you guys have mentioned on like a prior podcast I listened to, it's like learning a new language going to law school. You learn how to pick up things super quickly. You learn how to like grind it out, how to be dedicated. The bar exam reinforces that of like, oh, you think you've got this. Here's one more test where you have to show that you're willing to like grind it out. So most people don't have the ability to learn things quickly, commit to things, be diligent and like be willing to just like figure it out, even if it's painful. So I already had that, which most lawyers have. And then also I am a creative person. I'm I was trying to find an outlet for years and just like didn't have time. So really it just led to like a lot of maniacal, like vintage shopping and reselling, which also makes me look like a crazy person, but that's what I was doing during big law time. Um, so I think he was like, this person's creative. She's passionate about lawyers. She loves being a lawyer. Like I need to like sell to lawyers. And then also like, I know she can learn fast and she's hardworking because we'd worked on deals together. And my reputation was being like a grinder, which is good and bad. I don't recommend <laughs> for most people. So finally, I just sat there with myself and I was like, what is holding me back from doing this? Is it the idea of like not going down the partner track? And I was like, no, my gut's like, you know, that's okay to like have life plans change, especially since I really didn't before. Like I've been on this path since I was 11. Um, and then I was like, it's really just like my fear that like people will judge me or like I will fail or like I will not be able to come back if I want to. And so eventually I realized I was like, is any of this fear like worth it? Like, so with time, I finally just went with my gut, which I normally like, it's hard for me to do it, but I went with my gut. And like, after talking to him for like a few more months, which I'm sure at this point he was like, oh my gosh, it's been like almost a year. Like we need to stop talking about this. You need to make a decision. I just decided to do it. It was just like something inside me was like, I'm doing it. And I'm, I'm tired of letting fear like dictate my life and I'm just going to go for it. And so it has been a big challenge to learn a totally new set of skills but like I said, like we're taught to learn things quickly. So like a year in, I'm definitely not like perfect, but like it is crazy the amount of stuff that I've learned. I mean, you guys in making this podcast could see a lot of like the marketing concepts. Like after being a lawyer, like you learn how to be a sponge for information. Um, I think the hardest part for me at first was worrying that people were going to judge me or like I people were going to think that I couldn't hack it. But the funny thing is the response has been like the opposite, which I did not expect. Like most people have come and been like, I am so jealous or how can I work for you? Or do you, are you hiring at your company? And like even a year plus after that has continued. So I think that was part of the fear too, that like 
going back to like people in law school unintentionally making you feel bad, I don't think really anyone cares. I think we're somehow all conditioned to think that like people care so much. And in reality, like a lot of people are unhappy and they're just not going to say it. So I don't know if that answered your question, I, but yeah, that is how I made the jump from. I mean, that was a great story. Yeah. Yeah. To working at Hyperdraft. And it also just shows you like with your degree, like there are so many opportunities and you can really pivot your career at any moment, you know. I love too the going with your gut Mm -hmm. because you've told, she has told me that a lot. What does your gut say? What, you know, and sometimes you're just like, oh, but I'm, but my, my brain's telling me no, like all these honestly irrational fears. I, I feel like that was what really at the end of the day keeps us from doing things. And the, the, like you said, being scared of failing. We're perfectionists. We're type A people. We want to be the best. And the idea of failing is not an option. So I love that you went with your gut and decided to take on this challenge. And yeah, I bet you're totally different person than you were a year ago when I, just from what you've learned in this role. I've learned a lot. I think I'm probably still the same person. I don't know if I'm not <laughs> interesting, but, um, cause like, I love being a lawyer. Like I, yeah. I, I'm that weird person that I took the California and Texas bar. I would take a bar in every single state. I enjoyed the process. Like I didn't hate big law. Like I was tired a lot of times, but like I would go back, you know, if it made sense for my life. So I think that's another thing too, is like these choices don't change who you are, which I think was worried for me. Is like, I identify as an attorney. Will this make me no longer an attorney? And I still like occasionally negotiate shit. So I guess I still like practice very (laughs) rarely. Um, But I think that's another thing is like the identity of this profession and like how complicated that is. Cause we work so hard that we're like, oh, but like I put so much time into this. So I can't let go of the conventional understanding of this. And there's so many more options than people realize. And I'm still learning about them because law schools don't they don't have a vested interest in educating you on them because of how the rankings work, especially law school I went to. So there is like this gap in knowledge, which I think the internet and people like you all are filling, which is wonderful. And I hope that continues. Tell us about Hyperdraft because we are both, you know, very interested associates at firms and uh, don't really know much about like what we're doing half the time. And we saw automation software and that sounds very interesting. So can you just like give us the rundown? Yeah. So at Hyperdraft, we create automation tools for law firms and legal departments. Our first product out is a document automation tool. So basically kind of bird's eye view because in practice, I really didn't even know this until like I was a little bit more senior. Um, Document automation is drafting legal documents by answering like complex questionnaires instead of like having to find precedent and updating the matter information and adjusting the language. So it's a much more efficient process and it cuts out the hours at the beginning of like reformatting or like I said, scrubbing a document or just searching for precedent that like for some reason does not want to be found. It's like in law school when you're searching for that, I'm not a litigator. So the last time for me was law school. When you're searching for that case that you, like the partner says exists, but like you could not find it on Lexus or Westlaw. That's how it is finding precedent and transactional. Like you're like, I know this is here, but where is it? It skips all of those steps because you know, the technology does that for you because you've done it before. So why reinvent the wheel again? It already saw you do that before. So we'll just handle it for the next go. So that is Hyperdraft. Basically, you send us your forms. We also have a library of forms in case like it's a new type of agreement you haven't drafted yet. And this is litigation and transactional. 
Um, and then if you want to go and draft a legal document, one of our questionnaires pops up and based on how you answer the questions, new questions will be added or taken away so that you can make sure that like all the information you need is within your draft. So unbeknownst to me, people have been trying to get lawyers to adopt this since the seventies. <laughs> and our founder is an engineer who like makes insane stuff and didn't want to release this product first. But like as a thing of like, hey, guys, like this should be solved. This is a very easy problem to fix. Like it like we can do this now. Like we put it out in the market first and people have loved it. But that just shows you how behind the industry is. And I think with the next generation, which starts with the kind of you all's age, like you guys grew up in a technology age. You had set up systems for yourself. Like I was looking at the bar studying stuff now. You guys are way more efficient like even than we were, like, I'm just like, you guys know how to systematize your life, whether you know you're doing it or not. And so the legal profession will change because you guys will, will ask your senior associate, like, wait, but why aren't we doing this? And that senior associate for the first time will be forced to think about it. And then that'll go up the chain. I mean, and I don't think that the, like the legal industry is ready for it, but luckily the pandemic has shifted them into a place where now they're just like, oh shit, this is going to happen. Let's just see what they're going to say. And I think in the next couple of years, it's going to, it's going to be a big momentum shift. I totally love any new technology. Mm -hmm. I've been, I'm like the girl at my firm who's like, oh, look at this and uh, look at this keyboard. It, you know, does this and X, Y, Z. So I love the fact that you could implement this and, you know, streamline things, it seems like, and just make efficiency. It, yeah. Just like save time. So is that really like, would you say the goal of hyperdraft is just to make things more efficient and save time with, you know, the with any firm yeah. that they work with? So I think there's many. So our kind of ethos was make the law more sustainable by bringing in modern technology. So one, it's like, don't make people do stuff that they shouldn't have to be doing. Like, because some of the older people think that legal technology and the billable hour don't work together. But in reality, you can bill what you want. Just don't make your attorneys like stay up all night. Like there really isn't that visibility where like a client's going to be like over your shoulder being like, I watched so-and-so draft a written consent and I know like that doesn't exist. Right. So it really is putting more faith and giving people more of an opportunity to have a more flexible lifestyle um, with these systems. And the law really, I don't think it's because they don't want to. I think it's because as you guys probably feel right now, like you're so tired from the bar exam. You're so stressed out. You don't have extra time to kind of service yourself. So lawyers don't have time to make themselves better because they're chasing like all their clients around. So I don't think it's because anyone doesn't want to make the practice more sustainable. I think everyone's just tired. So we're just hoping to like help that. And I think that more law firm, we've found more law firm owners are like overjoyed about it. I think a yeah. lot of like the media is like, oh, it's like the antithesis of what they want. It's like, no, you talk to them and they're like, thank you. Like, I didn't Finally. know this existed. And I think that, like you said, you're like the tech savvy one at your firm. I'm sure when you bring stuff up to them, they're like shock and awe. They're like, wait, what? No. Well, yeah. And it's funny because right before this, we were talking about different processes that you could potentially implement this in, right? And it's all like, well, we've always done it this way. And it's like, but what about this? And you're right. 
that is part of our generation and the pandemic COVID class of law students that have come, you know, and learned so much. Uh, yeah, I think that law firms are totally changing and I'm glad that you guys are on the forefront of that. So is Hyperdraft for any size law firm? Yes, it is for any size law firm. Kind of how we stand out against many of our competitors is how the industry currently stands for document automation. Typically, a law firm has to pick a company like us as a vendor, and then they have to hire a separate IT implementation company or have an IT person on their staff. We didn't think that was very efficient, so we basically merged the two. So for the same cost as our competitor or cheaper, we will do that for you. If you already have a person, we will you know, let you do your thing. Um, but we are for all sizes because we do the implementation for you. If we were just like, you know, off the shelf more in a way, um, we couldn't do that. But because we do have that customization and implementation within the subscription, uh, we can kind of accommodate any type of practice area. Right now we do, yeah, a variety of litigation firms and a variety of transactional firms. And then we have firms as small as solo shops to big law firms. So and then on the in-house side, which has been more organic, because most of us have former clients that come calling like, well, oh, what are you doing now? You weren't around for my last deal when I called. That has been growing too, because in-house is also going through a separate, you know, yeah. change process, which I'm sure you guys could have some wonderful guests to discuss about that. And that will also change a lot in the next decade, I'm sure. So let's say there's a law firm listening right now and they want to demo it. Do you guys like have a demo that they can like talk to you about or like do they just email you guys? Like how does that work? Because I'm sure that there's going to be some people that are like t- like me telling their firm, hey, you should look into this. You know, what's the next step? Yeah, definitely. So you just go to our website, uh, hyperdraft.ai. We're also Hyperdraft Inc. on like every social media. You can either request access or just message us. Our whole staff is former attorneys. So we realize that these demos can be awful if they're too long. So we have made them like 10 or 15 minutes. So schedule a 10 or 15 minute slot with us. And then we can also send you personalized demo videos if that's what you prefer, but basically just reach out to us and we can kind of make sure you have the information you need. And we also integrate with most things out there. Um, I don't think, I can't remember the last time someone asked us to integrate and we couldn't do it. So if you have current systems in place, we just kind of slot into it. We don't derail anything. So cool. Awesome, Ashley. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We really appreciate it. And if anyone wants to reach out and chat with you more about what you do, and maybe they want you to be their mentor and help them understand the whole process and how you got here, where can they find you at? So they can find me on LinkedIn at Ashley Carlisle. Um, there's a silent S, so watch out for that. Or Ashley at, you can email me at Ashley at hyperdraft.ai. Thank you so much. I absolutely loved how Ashley basically forced her way into her first job because I feel like that is what we had to do a lot of the times. And it just shows you that networking and persistence and who cares about OCIs. um, I just love that about her. Also, she went to University of Texas, so that's an awesome school. So I am just so excited to see how she 
grows with hyperdraft and excited to see where hypertraft goes because I am definitely trying to pitch it or something similar to my firm. I love that. I love that you're thinking about pitching that to your firm. I mean, automated software and technology is a huge part of the world and it, you know, doesn't surprise me at all that it is coming into the legal world. I know so many older lawyers don't always like technology. So, you know, I think that it's pretty cool that she is, you know, a millennial changing the space and we got a chance to talk to her and going off what you said about her, you know, basically forcing her way into her first job. And it wasn't just any job, right? It's at a massive, well-known firm. So it's just props to her. And it doesn't surprise me that she ended up where she is now. And I only see really bright things for her in the future, given her ambition. If you want to contact Ashley, check out our show notes. And of course, check out our Instagram at Ladies Who Law School Podcast. And yeah, is there anything else, Haley? Yeah. I, you know, want to remind you guys that we love to hear from you. And if you ever have any questions or ideas and topics for episodes, let us know. And the biggest compliment you can give us is to recommend us to your friends and family. And always, if you feel so obliged, leave us a review. We love to hear what you guys think about the podcast. All right, guys, we will chat very soon as in next Monday. Bye. Bye.